You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Good morning. Are you feeling just a little bit sleepy this morning? Man, I'm excited to share God's Word with you today. I, uh, I remember making a handful of hospital visits to an old man. His name was Mr. Jones. He was 78 when I met him. Uh, I really went because his family asked me to. He was going to die. And as far as all of his family knew, he had never acknowledged God in his life. Never had made any profession to be Christian, nothing. And so when I went to see him, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't real easy, I'll be honest with you. He didn't really want to talk to me. I would kind of stumble around and stammer and try to make conversation, and he wasn't real responsive. And finally, when I felt like I wasn't going to make any progress, I would say, well, Mr. Jones, I should probably go. Could I pray with you before I leave? And he would nod, and I would pray, and I would leave. And then his family would get on the phone and say, how did it go? And I would say, not so good. He's not very responsive. I don't think he really wants to talk to me, but I'll go back. And I would go back and it was the same thing over and over again. Maybe four or five times I visited this man and it always was the same. The last time that I went to see him, it was different. I struggled to make conversation. He didn't have anything to say. I finally decided just to give up and I said, well, Mr. Jones, I guess I should go. Maybe I could pray with you again. Is that okay? And he nodded. And so I prayed. But this time when I finished praying... Something was very different. He was crying. I mean, this guy had given me nothing to this point. And I could tell if he was crying, something was happening. And so I said, Mr. Jones, I don't want to leave. You want me to stay? And he nodded. (laughs) And so we began to talk. And I want you to know, before I left that hospital room that day, That man prayed a prayer after me. He repeated the words after me. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I know that I haven't made room for you in my life, but today it all changes. I'm opening my heart to you. From this day forward, however long I have, I'll live my life to honor you. To worship you. So, so you might, you might be wondering what happened to Mr. Jones. I got a phone call from his family a couple hours after I left there, and he wasn't conscious any longer. And the next day, he passed away. So you might be saying, Rick, are, are you trying to tell me that God loves people so much? Are you trying to say that God wants people to be forgiven of sin so bad? Rick, are you trying to say that God wants so desperately to spend eternity with us in heaven that an old man who doesn't acknowledge God in 78 years, in his last couple of hours of consciousness, cries out to God... And God takes his hand. Are you trying to tell me that that old man is in heaven? Well, you see, I can't can't tell you what was in that old man's heart. And I don't know how sincere he was when he prayed. But if he was sincere when he prayed that prayer, 
then I believe that old man is in heaven. I, I, I think a good question to struggle with this morning as I continue to talk is what do you believe in regard to all of that? Do you believe if he was sincere in his prayer that he made it to heaven? Do you struggle with issues like fairness? If it were up to you, would you have let that old man into heaven? I I really want to take some time this morning and just, just talk with you a little bit about the fact that God loves people so much. And God wants to forgive sin so bad. And God wants a relationship with us now and in the world to come so desperately. I want you to just hear me say for a little while this morning how much people matter to God. And how deeply God desires to save us from our sin. Uh, You know that we're in a series called Crossword, right? And you just heard me tell a story about Mr. Jones And so probably you're one step ahead of me in knowing what passage I'm going to be dealing with as we talk about Jesus' words from the cross. So open your Bible to Luke 23 and let's talk about those two thieves who are on either side of Jesus and what one thief asked of Jesus and how Jesus responds to him. Okay, Matthew, or rather Luke 23. And I'm going to pick up reading where I left off last week, so I'll be at verse 39. Here's where we are in the narrative. Jesus has been beaten with rods. He has had a crown of thorns crushed down onto his head. He has been whipped with a whip 39 times, 39 lashes. The reason the Romans didn't whip you 40 times is because they didn't believe you could be whipped 40 times and live. And so they stopped at 39. He has been hung on a cross. There's probably no flesh left on his back. He looks down past his bloody feet onto the ground. And here's what he says in his heart to God. Could we forgive these people who are doing this to me? They've stripped him of his clothes in a modest society to only humiliate him more. And we know that there are two thieves, one on the right, I read you last week, and one on the left, two criminals. And here's how the story unfolds from here, okay? You ready? Verse 39, here's what it says. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Now, you know, I know there's some bad people in this world. There's some really, you know, rough folks out there. But when you are being crucified and you're in the last moments of your life and you want to make fun of the guy beside you, I think you're a pretty bad dude. I'm just going to go out and say it. I mean, I think that's a rough person. But that's what the word says. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. The other criminal rebuked him, though. Don't you fear God, he says. And then he said, "Um, since you are under the same sentence, don't you fear God. I'm sorry, I thought I was ahead of myself. Next slide says, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. And then he says, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so here was Jesus' response. I tell you the truth. Today, and I think that is 
a crucial word. You will be with me, and that is a crucial phrase, in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I, I think when we, when we think about this event that took place in history, um, the question I'm asking as we begin is, what do we learn about God through this event? So we, we read about this event that took place in history. So what do we learn about God as we read about this event? And I think that what we learn about God has to do with value. And so I can't really think about that unless I think about my society and how we place value on people. Okay? Just, just to be as blunt with you as I know how to be, our value system is a little whacked out. We're a little messed up. Why do we value people in our world? We value people uh, based on appearance. You may not like it, but the fact of the matter is it's true. We value people based on appearance. My dad was a really funny guy. Um, I, growing up, we thought he was a comedian. He, he made us laugh a lot. And still yet, there are times when I remember things my dad used to say, and I'll kind of I'll grin, and, and uh, sometimes I'll repeat it to somebody. But my dad used to say this. He used to say, I don't mean to sound ungrateful. But sometimes I wish I had been born rich instead of so good looking. (laughs) Chris, you ever wish you had been born rich instead of so good looking? You do? Yeah. We value appearance in our society. We also value wealth. And so it, it may be that you're not all that good looking, but sometimes we can forgive that if you have enough money. Uh, I think it's the only explanation to why Donald Trump gets a free pass on his hairstyle. I think it's just because the guy has money and we just let it go, you know. We value performance. If you can perform well, we value you. If you can play a, a sport, if you're an athlete, if you can sing, if you can perform, if you can do something well, we value you. If you're intelligent, you have value. And then you look at the cross this morning and you see Jesus on the cross and you see a criminal on one side and a criminal on the other. And the picture that you see of God in that whole event is simply this, that God values you no matter what you are. And God loves you and your worth is based on nothing than the fact that you exist and he created you and you are his. God loves people People matter to God. You're one of those people, and so you matter to God. And it's not contingent on anything that you do or look like or have. God values people. And when we look at the cross in this event, we see what God feels about the entire human race. People matter to God. It's just that simple. God values you. And I'm not all that smart, but I'm smart enough to know there's some people in the room who are not feeling worthy enough of God's love. And God says, I can't relate to that conversation. Because the bottom line is, I love you. You matter to God. I remember I was teaching a a college course a few years ago. It was in an adult studies program. The class I was teaching was called Biblical Perspectives. 
And so I, I liked it. It was a great opportunity because what happened was that for four hours a night, one night a week for I think about six weeks, I walked in a room with a bunch of adults. Some of them were Christian, some of them weren't. And for four hours every night, I got to talk about the Word of God. I, re- I remember one, one night in the class, we were in the book of Genesis, early on in the early chapters, and we were talking about the Garden of Eden and temptation. And so I said, let me tell you a story. And so I told him a story about a little girl who was going over a mountain path to visit her grandmother and to spend the night there. And so she's walking along the mountain path. All of a sudden, she's startled, and she stops, and she gasps. Because on the path in front of her is a snake. And the snake says to the little girl, why did you gasp? Why are you startled? Why are you afraid? And this little girl says, because you are a snake. Oh, I may not be as bad as you think I am. Where are you going? Oh, I'm, I'm going to my grandmother's house to spend the night. Oh, you'll, you'll get there before nightfall. No problem. You'll have plenty of time. I shouldn't be talking to you, the little girl said. You're a snake. Oh, why do you feel so strong about me? Have you, have you noticed my beautiful color? What, watch me. I'll move and you can see my... My colors and my skin glisten in the sunlight. And the little girl said, I never thought about a a snake being beautiful, but you do have pretty colors. The snake says, it's it's cold up here. There's nothing to eat. You know, I'm not built for this kind of weather. I'm I'm cold-blooded. You wouldn't be willing to sit down on that rock, would you? If you sat down on the rock, then I would just crawl into your pocket and you could give me a ride over the mountain trail. I could... I could get to the foot of the mountain before nightfall where it's much warmer and there's stuff to eat there. You, you, you wouldn't be willing to do that for me, would you? And so the little girl says, well, I, I guess I could. And she sits down on the rock and the snake crawls into her pocket and she stands up and off they go. And only a few steps into the journey, all of a sudden, she feels something strike her side. She pulls the snake out of her pocket and throws it to the ground and says, I, I can't believe this, you bit me. And before the snake slithered off into the bushes, he said to the little girl, you knew what I was when you picked me up. And so I said to the people in the class, how do you like that story? And this one lady blurts out, I didn't like your story. I said, okay, what was it about the story you didn't like? And she said, it's too close to home. I said, I know. Unfortunately, that's my story too. I don't know. I think I believe this. I think I believe that I always knew when it was right and when it was wrong. Maybe it's because I was raised in such a good, wonderful Christian home where my parents were so careful to give me good biblical instruction. But I think in my heart, I've always known when it was right and when it was wrong. And when I look at the picture of this criminal hanging on the cross, he says, I know it was wrong. I'm being punished justly for what I've done. 
I understand my deeds. I know that I messed up. I know I blew it. I know I broke the law. I know that I'm being punished for what I did wrong. I did wrong and I understand it. Somebody asked Duke Ellington. Uh, most of you are going to have to Google that to understand who Duke Ellington is. He was a great jazz singer. And somebody said, Duke, can you define rhythm? And Duke's response was, well, if you have it, you don't need a definition. And then he followed that up by saying, and if you don't have it, a definition is not going to help. <laughs> Thanks for all of you over 50 who laughed. <laughs> See, I've never needed a definition for sin. I've always known. I've always known when it was wrong. I always knew when I crossed the line. I always knew when I offended the heart of God. And the thief on the cross says, I was wrong. If, if you're waiting for the to-do portion of the sermon, what do we do? This is, this is it. This, we've landed there. We've arrived at that part of the sermon. Before you can ever find forgiveness for your sin, you have to confess your sin. You have to know in your heart that it was wrong. You have to admit to yourself and to God, I have sinned. What I've done is wrong. There's no forgiveness until you confess. And then I love what happens as we continue the story. He cries out to Jesus for mercy. Not because he deserves mercy. Not because he's done anything where he should receive mercy. He just cries out. Will you have mercy on me? Somewhere the guy begins to believe something. Was it when he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. At some point he begins to believe that Jesus is going to have a kingdom. Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And he asked for mercy. And so Jesus is gracious. And he forgives him. We, we, we all respond differently when we read the word of God. I was walking out into the foyer after first service. And this lady looks at me and just kind of rolls her eyes. Said, how you doing? <laughs> okay, I guess. I don't know. She starts to wipe a tear. I think about Jesus on the cross, Pastor Rick, like that. I wish I could love people like that. I'm going to go through my day tomorrow. I hope I can love one soul like that. I said, oh, that's good. That's really good. I think that's really good because we all struggle. We all struggle with this next line. Paradise? <laughs> Give me a break. Are you kidding me? This guy's getting ready to slip out into eternity and he gets this promise of paradise? It, it, it's a word that's Persian in its origin and you know what it actually means? It means like garden or park. And it's used figuratively here, of course, and it's trying to describe this Wonderful place. Jesus says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. This person that society has said, we will be better off if you are dead. The only way we're really going to feel safe again is if we kill you. 
And Jesus makes this grandiose promise of paradise. Hang on, buddy, it's almost over. We're going to paradise. And we struggle. And then the Holy Spirit is faithful and he reminds us of the word of God. And and we begin to realize that none of us are worthy of heaven. None of us deserve the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. And we're all going on the same ticket. And it's got grace stamped across the front of it. But because of God's great love for us, expressed through Christ Jesus our Lord, and we don't deserve it. But He wants to redeem us. And He loves us. And He wants us to have life. And He promises us forgiveness and hope and life. I like, I like sometimes um, telling, telling the story about, about Annette and I and how we, how we met. We were, uh, um, I was 24 when I, no, I don't know how old I was. I can't remember. <laughs> how old was I, Annette, when I met you? 24? I thought I got married when I was 24. So anyway, she says, okay, whatever. Pick a number you like. Yeah. I left, I left. Trevecca Nazarene University to go to Nazarene Theological Seminary. By the way, this is the month we are receiving offerings for Nazarene Theological Seminary. You're welcome, David Busick. <laughs> and so I get there and my friends are there that I was involved with at Trevecca. And that went to Trevecca, I went to Trevecca, but we weren't there at the same time because one of us is a little older than the other. I'll just leave that alone. I'm going to leave that right there. <laughs> And so they said, guess who's living in Kansas City? Annette Stone. I don't know her. How do you not know Annette? And so we did the math. You're right. She was gone before you got to school, and I'd transferred in late. She had left, and so we didn't cross paths there. Where are you going to meet her Sunday? She goes to our church. And so finally, as the week went on, it was, you're going to meet your wife Sunday. You excited? (laughs) You know? And honestly, after about three days of that, I developed a bad attitude. I just kind of felt like knocking off. And they were doing the same thing to Annette, and so Sunday we finally met. But on the way to church, I I said something that I really probably didn't mean and shouldn't have said. I said in the car on the way to church, I'm not going to speak to her because you guys have run this into the ground. And so the rest of the ride was a little tense. We get to church, and I'm sitting in the Sunday school classroom, and there was a stairway coming down into the classroom that was enclosed with glass. And so you watch people kind of wind down into the, st- into the room. And, and I had seen her picture, and I looked up, and here comes Annette down that stairway. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, that's her. And then my next thought was, why should I penalize this young girl for something her <laughs> friends have done? I will be gracious and I will speak to her. We went through Sunday school and then through church. And after church was over, I walked up and I introduced myself to her, which later she said impressed her. And we were standing there talking and we had only been talking for two minutes. I said, I know your sister, Elisa. She said, I know your brother, Terry. And so we're just having this very brief conversation. And the pastor of the church, Keith Wright, who used to work on staff here, walks up to me and says, hey, what's your name? And I said, my name is Rick Harvey. And he said, where are you from, Rick? And I said, well, I'm a Trevecca boy. And he says, I'm sorry to Annette. I didn't get your first name. And she said, my first name is Annette. 
And he spins on his heel and says to his wife, Hey, Liz, I want you to meet Rick and Annette Harvey. (laughs) Well, Annette just, her face obviously, and he said, Oh, I'm sorry, I've said something wrong. And I said, No, no, let God work. I like it. Leave that right where it is. That's good. (laughs) Ate lunch with Annette that day, took her to a Royals game that night. In Kansas City, that was in 1985, if you're a Royals fan, that was the only good year for a long time. (laughs) And so, took her home, and I called Julie, her friend and my friend, the next day, and I said, Julie, I like Annette. Did you talk to her? (laughs) She say anything? Does she want to, you know, does she want to go out again? And Julie goes, oh, she likes you. She wants to see you again. I got an hour or two out of that. Thank you. (laughs) We saw each other every day. Did I want to go? It depends. Is Annette going? Because if Annette's going, I want to go. You know, you read the Bible for years. And then one day you read it and you see something and you think, why did I never see that before? And you think it maybe has significance, and then you begin to wonder, does it have significance? Or am I just trying to find meaning here in the Bible that that I discovered? It kind of happened to me not long ago. I was reading through this passage, and I was actually studying for this sermon. And so, as I was, I, I saw these words, and I realized that Jesus did not say, Today you will be in paradise. No, he says, Today you will be with me. In paradise. You understand that's what makes it paradise. It's the fact that you're going to be with God. <laughs> you're going to be with Jesus. You're going to be with the divine. It wouldn't be paradise if he wasn't going to be there. Are you telling me that God wants so deeply to be with you throughout eternity? That he would forgive somebody on their dying bed? Started with a story about Mr. Jones. Let me me end with a similar story, okay? I've been out of the country for a week, and when I landed in Dallas, I got my phone out, and I began listening to voicemails, and one was my neighbor, Diane. And Diane said, Rick, would you please call me? I've been trying to knock on your door. And I've called your home and I called your office finally and they told me you're out of the country. My dad has a very aggressive form of cancer. Would you please call as quick as you get back into the country? I need you to come and see my dad with me. And so as soon as I could, I called Diane and as soon as I could get to Mr. Pennington's house, I went. And I walked in the door and when I walked in the door, here comes Howard walking toward me, both of his arms out like this. And he's saying, Rick. I can't believe this. And he starts to cry and he says, they say, you know, that it's just going to be a matter of a few weeks here. I I don't understand. How how could this happen to me? And he put his arms around me and I hugged him and I held on to him for a minute and I said a prayer. We went and sat down in the living room and it got really weird because the whole family evacuated the living room as if, okay, this is where you have the talk with the preacher, dad. And so we were talking to each other, Howard and I, and it was going pretty good. But then I moved to that part of the conversation. Howard, 
You know who I am. I know you've never been to my church, but you know what I do. And you know the urgency that I feel to talk to you about your relationship with God, Howard. It was as if you had flipped a switch to the off position. And Howard stared at the carpet. He didn't respond. I would ask him a point-blank question and pause. There was no answer. There was nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. So finally I said, Howard, I'll pray. And I prayed. And I stood up and he stands up and he holds out his arms. Thank you for coming, Rick. And he hugs me again, and, and I left. And I want you to know, Howard died like that. Rick, Rick, what are you asking us to do today? I'm asking you to choose. What, what are you asking us to choose? I'm asking you to choose sides. That's what I'm asking you to do. What do you mean, choose sides? I'm asking you to choose which side of the cross you're going to die on. Because you don't want to die on the side that Howard died on. You want to die on the side that Mr. Jones died on. That's the kind of choice I'm asking you to make. You know, we do have an enemy and he has been lying to me this morning. And I have confronted him with scripture when he has. And, and I believe there's somebody here today wanting to choose. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes? Would you take a moment to pray? And so, if you're following Jesus today, then you probably know how to pray in this moment. I probably don't have to give you any instruction. I'm just asking you to join me in prayer right now. And if this morning you would say to me, Rick, there is sin in my life and it separates me from God. I'm like the thief on the cross that knew his deeds were wrong. That's me. And I wish I could bring myself to asking for mercy. I'm going to challenge you to pray a prayer. You can pray a prayer with me. You can use my words if you want to use my words. You can use your own words if you choose to, but... In your own thoughts right now, from your heart, if you want to pray a prayer, it would sound something like this. Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I know that I have sinned. I know that I have not made room for you in my life. And I know that what you want from me is relationship. And you want to give me life and you want to forgive me and you want to give me hope. And God, I want all of those things. And so if it's just as simple, right now, I accept those things. From this day forward, with whatever life I have left, I will live for you. 
In Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.